U.S. Capitol Police aren't just operating out of Washington, D.C. these days. They've been opening up satellite offices across the country. FBI whistleblower Steve Friend joins us to discuss why this is all happening. There's a gold rush these days at Costco. Yes, you heard that right. Everyone's preparing for the booming economic threats. Dr. Kirk Elliott joins me to discuss. Gen Z and millennials are a little gloomy when it comes to marriage these days. David and Stacey Whited join me to give you a little sense of optimism. All that and more on The Brianna Morello Show. Last week, we discussed how U.S. Capitol Police were opening up satellite offices around the country. They were in two locations, San Francisco and here in Tampa, Florida. And a lot of you were scratching your heads like me, wondering why are U.S. Capitol Police operating outside of Washington, D.C.? It just doesn't make any sense when you think about it. And they've been open since just a couple of months after January 6th. That's why it was so concerning. And as many of you guys commented, I mean, how does Governor Ron DeSantis and other local uh, lawmakers allow this to take place. Now, I went by where they're supposed to be based out of, which is the Hillsborough Sheriff's Office, and I couldn't get in, but I, I wanted some proof that they were operating in this office space, and I couldn't get it because I wasn't able to get onto the property. But again, U.S. Capitol Police, I've followed up, I've emailed, I've called, and just to get some statistics, basic statistics, saying, hey, listen, what are you guys actually doing out of here? How many threats to members of Congress are there? Uh, how many have they been since you guys have opened up? What does like an active day for you guys look like? And they won't answer a single question. And the Florida governor, as well as Attorney General Ashley Moody, none of them want to answer these questions. And it's quite concerning. But there's obviously the separation between federal and our local state, which is Florida. And obviously, a lot of us have some questions. And there's going to be some questions that I'm going to throw at my good friend, Steve Friend, a whistleblower as well as a uh, fellow for the Center of Renewing America. And Steve, you've got a brand new podcast that we've got to talk about. You are the co-host of America Radicals podcast right here on Rumble. Steve, thank you for joining me today. I appreciate your time as always. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Steve, so a lot of us have these questions regarding the federal government kind of using U.S. Capitol Police to work here in, in Tampa, Florida. What would be the reasoning behind opening up an office outside of Washington, D.C. For, for this agency? Well, there's the real reason and the right reason. I think that they'll say the right reason is that they are following up on threats to the Capitol, which is essentially their jurisdiction. It could be personnel within the Capitol, elected representatives, or professionals who work staffers. Uh, But then there's the real reason. And the real reason is they got an enhanced budget that Congress gave to the Capitol Police following January 6th. They beefed up their budget enormously, and it's a bureaucracy. So They are looking for ways to spend the money that they've been given so they can get more of it down the line. And Mm -hmm. the the issue now is they are federal law enforcement office. They have responsibilities of investigating violations of the federal law, but there's an actual geographical limit to that. And that is within the the four walls of the Capitol building, as we all sort of understand it. They are they're the mall police, if you will. It's the, it's the yeah. up on the mall of, of Washington D.C. And the investigations that they have are are limited to that structure. But it, it would be no different than a national forest service that has federal arrest authority than opening up a new branch within the city limits, saying, "Well, look, we can investigate the federal law." Uh, but it's not really within their lane of expertise, which is incredibly troubling, especially when you look at them going to a specific state of Florida here, uh, where there is the most 
this, this, this state has the most January 6th subjects, which I would think that they are going to use then as their foot in the door to enhance their power, ask for forgiveness rather than permission. Yeah. And that makes sense, Steve, because I've gone around and I've actually asked the three offices, the field offices here in Florida, uh, the FBI field offices, what specifically is Capitol Police helping you guys with? Because from my understanding, and you could kind of you know verify this for me, um, I was told that when a threat is made to a member of Congress or a member of their staff, that is given over to the U.S. Capitol Police. And then after they collect everything that they get, you know, evidence, information, they then hand that off to the FBI field offices. Is, is that usually how this works? Do I have a good grasp on that one? Yes, because the Capitol Police actually geographically are going to be limited to Washington, D.C. So if there was a threat and let's say that person resided in Florida, it would make sense. It would be a logical uh, deduction for them to hand it off to the FBI to just assist with the Capitol Police with that. And that's that goes without saying because different law enforcement agencies work with each other. If you don't have somebody there, it would be just a cost-effective means to send an email and ask for the FBI to help you out rather than flying one of your people down to Florida to go go conduct an interview. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I, I can understand that. I mean, I asked all three of the offices and none of them would give me a specific answer as to why they need us Capitol police down here specifically. Uh, it, it seems like there's no reason for them to be here. I understand why they'd be in San Francisco at the time, the house, the speaker of the house, was Nancy Pelosi. And so to have an office near her home would make sense for her. Uh, Steve, do you think based on, what we have going on here in the state of Florida. Do you think there's anything that our local officials can do, local Florida lawmakers, the governor's office, or even Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody's office? Is there anything that they could do to stop this? It's to, it's a challenge because there's a supremacy clause. So the, the state sort of has a get-out-of-jail-free card. They can say, look, we can't do anything about this because the federal government has the ability and the responsibility for investigating violations of federal law. But the, uh, the the state is actually, due to the Tenth Amendment, they have a responsibility here to protect their citizens. And if the federal government is violating state law, I think mm-hmm. that there's an interesting challenge to be had here. And, and I think that there's a, a strong argument to be made that the federal government, as it pertains to January 6th investigations or anything else that the Capitol Police are saying, they're going to be violative of civil rights that are protected by the Florida State Constitution. And they're maybe exceeding their boundaries. And this is something that could be hashed out in the courts. Um, and, and that's a very lawyerly type of, of, of combat that's going to happen. I think from an uh, operational standpoint, though, these local field offices, be it from the FBI or any other federal, uh, federal law enforcement agency, uh, they're going to need assistance from local partners, be they sheriff's offices, police departments. And that creates a leverage point from the state standpoint. They can refuse to do that. The, the state legislature can pass laws that restrict the sheriff's offices and police departments from providing their personnel and resources and intelligence over to the local field office uh, from the federal agency. And, and that might hamstring them. So it's, it's, it's a matter of maybe throwing up some speed bumps uh, as opposed to allowing them to just ro- roll right over the, uh, the Florida citizenry. Yeah. I mean, here in Florida, we're covering it all the time. I've met so many J6ers who have had just the most basic rights violated by the federal government, the Department of Justice and the FBI. And when I reach out for people like Florida Attorney General Ashley Moody's office to help out, uh, it seems to go nowhere. And I understand that there's, again, separation here, but this this seems like criminal rights, uh, uh, civil rights violations to me completely. Steve, for our audience at home right now, let's say they get a knock on the door and it's the FBI and they're just 
trying to ask some questions. And we all know that they do this all the time now. What do you recommend our audience to do if they have the FBI on their front door just looking to talk to somebody and get some information? It could be anything from just, you know, putting out a bad tweet that they didn't find humorous, or it could be something more. So how should they go handling this if the FBI ever comes knocking on their door? What you have to realize is that this is not a two-way street with the FBI. They're coming to your door because you're going to give them something. It's, there's a benefit for them. They are not there to just serve you. I've told mm-hmm. everyone now that they should refuse to cooperate in any sort of fashion with the FBI. Uh, they've proven to, to be an objective actor for ill at this point. Uh, I would not even provide them my name. I would not provide them any information because another thing that people need to remember is even if you're the victim of a crime, the FBI can open an investigation. That gives them the power to look into your records and to do some investigating of you even as the victim of the crime. So I would just refuse to participate in any way. If I'm the victim of a crime, I'm going to my local law enforcement office. I'm going to my sheriff's office. I'm going to my police department because I think that they're going to be able to serve my needs better than the FBI is. And they're actually going to have personnel who are are more capable than most FBI agents. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a great tip because I mean, we just see them escalating and going after conservatives really for no reason at all. And so that's something important to remember. I want to get to a tweet that came out from one of your fellow suspendables, Kyle Serafin. Uh, It's an interesting one, given the current state we live in with politics and uh, everyone just going woke and just becoming stupid. I guess that's the best way to describe it, because now they're hiring the FBI based on your sexual preference rather than your actual skill set. And then we're seeing them putting out ridiculous uh, emails to this was an internal email that Kyle tweeted out. And it's basically saying that they've adopted the LGBTQIA plus acronym instead of just using the plain LGBT plus, uh, which most of us still use this day because the other one is just I mean, it's just absolutely outrageous. And they're doing it, of course, to be more equitable and more inclusive. And they say that it's been recommended by nine diversity advisor committees and approved by FBI executive management is kind of how they wrap up that email. Steve, um, when you were banging down doors at six in the morning with your fellow agents, did you really care about what your fellow agent's sexual preference was? Or was this something that was always in the front of your mind at the time? No, it wasn't really, uh, wasn't really important to me. Uh, and, Whoever uh, they uh, they love or uh, whatever they do in the privacy in their own bedroom is really a, a not a, even a secondary concern. It's a non-concern to anyone who's working in an operational capacity. Uh, th- this email going around and the fact that there are actually nine advisory boards that are mm-hmm. going and taking up the, the feelings of the of the rank and file to the executive management uh, is is an absolute indicator of how the FBI has given over to now this this church of woke. And it is not about doing the the bidding of the American people and protecting the the rule of law and preserving our constitution. It's just about furthering this new radical religious ideology that we've seen permeate through our federal government. Yeah, Steve, you've still got some friends in the agency. Uh, when I look at the work that the FBI is doing, it and you call it out constantly, they're just constantly jumping on local law enforcement agencies to make it look like they're actually doing things. And they're not really doing the investigations that we know that they should be doing. I remember the last time I remember a good FBI story, um, of the agency doing anything was back in Fort Lauderdale, when they were banging on the doors of pedophiles, known pedophiles, and trying to save children. Is the FBI based on the people that you speak to currently in the agency really doing any work right now that's benefiting the American public? I think just at a small office level, it's, it's, it's a question of what do you deem to be 
of helping the American public. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't. I really don't have a problem with the FBI assisting local agencies and in, in taking their work to a federal level if there's a, an enhanced sentencing. If we can get a chance to, keep, to put a bad guy in jail for a longer period of time, I'm all about it. My problem is with the FBI stealing the credit. Their, yeah. their, their prime directive as an agency should be to serve locals and then elevate them and make sure that they're getting the helmet sticker, not the FBI. Uh, as far as work that's going on, I think that they are completely, uh, they're taken off the ball here. The, the training that's going on at the academy level, people are being taught that white supremacy is the only focus of the FBI now. And that's just not in keeping with what's consistent with what you open up your window and you look out and see if there's any crime going on. That's that's really not what's happening. Yeah, yeah. It's disturbing, but we're hopeful that things will turn around. Steve Friend, thank you for joining us today. Again, I want to remind our audience, Steve is the co-host of the American Radical Podcast, which is on Rumble. I recommend everyone subscribing to that. Thank you so much again, Steve, and we look forward to having you on soon. I want to let our audience in on a little secret. I'm saving hundreds of dollars each year after switching over both of my lines to Patriot Mobile. Yes, so now my business and personal line are with Patriot Mobile. Now Patriot Mobile uses the same towers that you're probably already using now, except it's less expensive. So my 5G towers that I love to use my old provider, I'm still using them now. I'm just paying significantly less money to do so. And on top of it all, Patriot Mobile believes in the same things you and I believe in. They have the same morals. So they donate to causes that are like pro-life causes, veteran causes, and even the NRA. It's incredible. So I highly recommend you head over to PatriotMobile.com right now. Take a look at their plans and sign up. And today, if you sign up and use promo code Brianna, they're going to waive the activation fee. Yes, you heard it right. They're going to waive the activation fee. Just make sure you use promo code Brianna, B-R-E-A-N-N-A. You guys, I've said it once before, so I'm going to say it again. And under the Biden regime, I've never been more worried about my financial future. I called my good friend, Dr. Kirk Elliott, because I wanted to come up with a plan put in place to make sure I was secure. And he came with a plan for me to invest in silver. I'm rich. I've got my silver. I'm feeling so much better about my future. I highly recommend you give him a call and just chat with his team. 720-605-3900. And you could also head over to his website if you'd like to schedule an appointment. It's kirkelliotphd.com slash Brianna. Conservatives.com. That's where you guys catch it. You guys can find them on all the popular platforms. Uh, I love watching you guys on Rumble. So thank you so much for joining us. And I look forward to joining you guys later on this week. There's so much content online that's a little negative these days, especially for people who are in the middle of Gen Z and the millennials regarding marriage. Everyone seems to be a little like gloomy about it and not too optimistic these days. And there's a new study that I think highlights just that. Uh, people who are from the Gen Z and the millennial era, well, they're saying two out of five of them, at least, that marriage is an old tradition and it's outdated, which is not what I want to hear. I mean, let's just be honest, right? The rest of us want to be optimistic. We want to sit there and find someone who we truly do love and spend the rest of our lives with. But it just seems like in this new era of social media and, and everything else that goes on in this crazy world, it seems like it's hard to find. But... I have some hope for you guys. My very two favorite people, David and Stacey White, are joining us now to discuss. David and Stacey. I wanted to bring you guys on to discuss this. Be a little optimistic here. You guys are 31 years into this marriage. 
And that's something that a lot of people in my generation are just kind of thinking that it's unrealistic, but you guys are here to tell us that it's not. Welcome to the show, guys. Thank you, Brianna. Thank you so much for having us. You know, it's really interesting because I was actually reading through that article as well, and something that really jumped out at me is they did say they believe that the traditional marriage uh, was shifting, but 83% of participants in that survey still want to get married at some point. So I'm like, so I really do believe there is hope. People do want to have kind of that, maybe that fairy tale, what they read about, the stories they've seen, the hallmarks they've watched. You know, they (laughs) want that, you know, in their life. And I will say this, after 31 years of marriage, it is definitely possible and it is on purpose. It's not a, oh, just the stars lined up properly and that's how it came out. It is intentionally done and it can be done. And there's been some interesting statistics that we found that actually are counteracting what most of us have thought we knew over the last few years of what marriage actually looks like. Uh, you know, the one of the things I would say is we're, we're so influenced by, you know, media. Um, if you've ever watched a movie of any kind or a sitcom or going back to the Beverly Hillbillies or I don't care how far back you want to go, the rich person's always the bad person. Always the villain. You know, I don't care if yeah. it's a Mar- it's a Marvel mo- the, the movie. It's like the billionaire is always the evil villain. If you watch Titanic, you know, Jack is the broke guy who didn't even buy his ticket to get on the, the plane. If he wanted to have fun, he had to go to the bottom of the boat with all the broke people and the wealthy people were awful and no fun. And it's like, that's not like a statistically true thing. It's not like if if you're, uh, you know, paycheck to paycheck or you're barely getting by that you're going to be more honest, that you're a high quality person, that your morals are higher, like that you ha- that you that you're more fun to be around. But like those are the images that are put. Yep. There's no references out there of any movie that has a financially successful person being a good person. Um, that's always something they're overcoming. So we know that's not true, but that's the image that's mm-hmm. out there. Um, you know, there's a lot of these things that we accept as being the deal. For one, every every grocery store aisle you go through has the celebrities that are currently breaking up. They're on marriage six or seven. And so those things kind of become in our mind of like what is real in society, but it, but it's it's not. Some of these statistics, matter of fact, on a quote from a book that we came across recently, um, um, called The Good News About Marriage, uh, debunking discouraging myths about marriage and divorce. And th- these people went through and they studied uh, uh, Bureau of Labor, uh, Bureau uh, Census Bureau statistics and, and every different form of marriages. And a lot of these, these uh, like statistical myths that that we think of, like like number one, the divorce rate for society as a whole is fifty percent. Um, everybody thinks well, at least all half of all marriages end in divorce, and and they don't. Those that are, was encouraging because when David yeah. told me that, I thought that's what we've all been told. Everyone's yeah. but, but that's not a true statistic. And, and then when they they tried to find any receipts and source data for that. They, the only thing that they could could find was studies that only dan- that only uh, quoted teenage marriages, and 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 uh, you know uh, more shotgun kind of kind of marriages, you know, and it, like that's not marriages as a whole. That's the only place they could come up with that fifty percent statistics. And 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 in the book they go through to break down. It's really closer first time marriages to about a twenty five percent divorce rate. Wow. Which, which isn't encouraging because everybody walks down the aisle thinking this one's going to last forever. So to think a 25% you know, failure rate, but a 75% success rate is much more encouraging than a 50-50 crapshoot mm-hmm. you know, on, yeah. on marriages. So that's just that's just one category. But I want to go back to what Stacy said. We came into our marriage, her family, great uh, track record, you know, parents, grandparents, all this kind of stuff. 
I came into it sort of as a hot mess. I was the youngest of six kids. With the five older than me, I think there's about 12 marriages at this point. And your parents were divorced. And my parents went through divorce. And like, and they're all incredible people. There's not an alcoholic, not a drug addict, not there's no there, there's no other reason other than just poor systems. And so me yeah. being the youngest, I kind of really looked at that and grabbed mm-hmm. a hold of it. Like, what were they doing, you know, that made this not work? And yeah. I, I, my my, I'm, I'm convinced now at this point, after after you know decades of of marriage, that it's much more like you build in, you move into a new home, you know, that's a custom build, you know, sod and everything in there. It looks great coming in. No matter who you are, what you believe, what you think, if you're funny or not or whatever, if you don't water that grass, it's going to die. Mm-hmm. It's not personal. It just consistently. And you may say, oh, this really stinks. The grass is dead. I'm going to move to a new home with green grass. And it's like, what's well, going to be just as dead as the last one if you don't water it? And there's there's specific things that people have green grass and that their shrubs live. There's specific things that they do that people who don't. It's not personal. Mm-hmm. And and it's very predictable. And if people can grab a hold of key factors in their Marriage is very fulfilling. You're going to make more money. You're going to have more joy. You're not having just, I mean, it's not romantic, but the financial setback of losing half your stuff and starting over every few years, you know, it's just, it's not a good financial. Not let alone the emotional toll. Yeah. The emotional toll of going to work each day and like, you're Mm -hmm. kind of limping into it because where you're coming from, I can't speak for women, but as a man, when I walk out of the door to go do something, my strength is like the, 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 the plant you know, the, the pot it's growing out of is from my marriage. Mm-hmm. It's not one of the thing I'm doing in addition to it. We started a bunch of companies. We've done lots of things in our life. We've done missions work. We've lived in Mexico. We've done a lot of, of things. And people will say, well, how do you keep your marriage up with all these other things? And I'm like, I'm able to do all these other things as an, as, as a, as an overgrowth from my marriage. When I walk mm-hmm. out of the door with the feel of her kiss on my cheek. It's like, oh my gosh. Bring it on. I'm 10 feet tall and I can take on the world. And so it's because of the strength of our marriage, I can do other things. And so I think it's the number one first best thing to invest in, not children, not your home, not business, not anything else, is this. And then from that, we raised our kids. Mm -hmm. From this, we built business. From this, we've started a podcast. From this, we Mm -hmm. we do everything. Not this is one more thing. I try to keep that ball in the air juggling. This is the thing. You know, and it goes yeah. back to, and I'll, I'll throw it back to you, Brianna. I just wanted to add on to, to what David's saying, but it c- does come back to you have to question why would the statistics be saying, or or what I guess they've been trying to make us believe. Why is it that way? And I really do believe it goes back to a breakdown of the family, of depopulation, of all of these different issues that they are trying to do um, in our country and in our world. That's why I think all of these lies have come out about marriage and the family. Yeah, I think that's really important, Stacey, because honestly, everywhere I look, you constantly see the normalization of a two-parent household, uh, but two separate parent households. So you mm-hmm. see you know, the parents shuffling on weekends, their kids back and forth. And that's not the life that I grew up knowing. And so for me, it's quite strange. But for so many people, they've just kind of adapted and accepted that as the new norm. Um, David, you, you spoke about growing up in a house where uh, your parents were divorced and separated. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of changes did you make to yourself and, you know, heading into your marriage, gosh, specifically to make sure that that wasn't going to be your destiny? Because that's Mm. a really hard uh, statistic to overcome. Yeah, it was. I didn't want it to be my normal. And it was an advantage being the youngest of the six because I was kind of, you know, looking at all of that. And and for one, we just, I just decided early the things that helped me get Stacy to start with 
because there was a lot of competition in the marketplace, you know, uh, and, and the, the things that made her say yes to me and choose me, I wanted to keep those going after marriage. You know, it wasn't like marriage. Okay. Do I got it. Boom. It, it's I, 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 I a mentor say one time, there's a group of young guys. This is a business meeting. And we were talking outside of, you know, of a, a, a formal environment. And, and he goes, he goes, he goes, guys, he goes, you know, the best time to treat your wife like a queen, to bring her flowers, to buy her gifts, you know, the best time to do that. And everyone's like, no, when he goes before someone else does. <laughs> yeah. And it's That's like, it's kind of funny, but it's good. Like everything that helped me get into the game, I kept up to stay in the game. Like I treated marriage, like Tom Brady treated football. You know, it's like, it was a mm-hmm. priority in my life to keep this strong. I wanted to treat her so good that if she ever did leave me and she was with someone else, like after a few weeks, that guy would bring her back and say, dude, I can't keep it up. Please take her back. This is too much work. The bar is too high. I can't keep it up, please. I didn't, I had no idea what I was getting into. Like, you know, that it was that kind of a, of a priority, you know, the way you would treat anything that's the most valuable thing that you possess. I like that. I like that. Stacy. so many women, myself included, when we're out here dating, we're, we've got our little checklist, but it's not working out for all of us. So what were some of your must-haves in a husband? And what would you recommend for those uh, young women who are looking for a significant other long-term? I would definitely say writing down your list, because for me, it might be different than it is for someone else. But do you have things that you uh, are really looking for that are the most important um, in the person that you're looking for? But then it also, at the same time, be realistic as to what is actually possible. I saw, you know, an interview with some young ladies that were talking about what they wanted uh, their future husband to be making financially. These girls were in their 30s, and these girls were saying, you know, a half a million dollars, 750000 250000 They're like, do you even know what the average income is? You know, so obviously being realistic with where you are at this time, but saying these things are extremely important to me, and these are non-negotiable. I think that's probably the most important thing that a woman should do in looking for a future relationship. Yeah. And I'd say both of them, you're, you're, you're betting somewhat on the trajectory. You're not marrying the final result. And yes. so being the best you can and then coming together and say, what can we build together? And that's why things like character, honesty, integrity, you know, you're, you're basing on that, the, the moral compasses and you can build the mm-hmm. incomes. You can build those things together. Like an NFL team drafting a player, they want him to have done good in college but they're not thinking that's where it ends. You're, you're coming mm-hmm. into it. Now we're going to even go better together. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Cause there was another study that said that Gen Z and millennials felt like uh, 73% of them felt like it's just too expensive to get married nowadays. And I don't think people understand, you know, when my parents met, my, my dad didn't have much and my mom kind of just had trust that this was going to work out and it was going to be great for her and her future. And she ran with it. Um, but not many people do that nowadays. And I think it's kind of strange how everyone, like you said, Stacy, they want like such a high bar. Like when I talk to my girlfriends and they're like, yeah, I want my man making a quarter of a million dollars. And I'm just like, that is not realistic. I think it's like, no. like less than 1% of men in their thirties that are making over six figures right now, like over a hundred thousand dollars, I think was the last time I looked. So it's just not realistic to have that mindset going into it. But like you just said, it's important to kind of be optimistic and kind of come up with a financial plan plan for you both to do together. Yes, it's opt- optimistically it's it's endless if you if you guys could team up and become a partnership. And that's so important. Um, when it comes to creating a partnership and finding someone who you could open up businesses with and start long term with, what are some of your suggestions when looking for someone to do just that? Because 
I think it's important. The two of you obviously share the same religious beliefs and you guys have the same morals and, and all those other things. But what else played um, a role in into kind of settling down and figuring that this was going to work for you? I think the communication was the key to that, being able to talk to each other, writing down goals, kind of having common goals with each other, and then working together to make that happen. You're right, though. God is the center of it. And I remember David's dad. It was really powerful. I remember having that conversation. He said, if God, if you like, can imagine almost a a triangle, God's at the top and you have each individual person on the side and you're going towards that common goal, you're going to eventually become closer because you're going towards the same goal. And that's how it works when we made goals for business, for family, each one of those aspects of our life. When we did that and we were both going towards the same goals, we ultimately grew together. One of the statistics that that's a myth that's kind of broken down in that book is that the divorce rate in the church is the same as, as it is outside. And that that's based on studies of, of what is your religious belief? Like, do you believe in God or not? Well, with that criteria, it's a 50-50. But it, when they when they do the exact same study based on church attendance, people who have the humility to say, man, I'm tired on Sunday, but I'm actually going to go, and they have that kind of mentorship in their life, they have that voice structure in there, there it's a minuscule amount. It's even less than the 25% as a whole. It's far less than 50%, but that's based on church attendance, not believing that there's a God. Mm-hmm. And so like the, the actual behavior, the pattern, and the accountability, the friendships, the community that comes from church attendance increases the success rate of a marriage as well, not just a belief that you have and you put it on the shelf. And so there, there's, there's a lot of statistics like that 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 kind of are misleading mm-hmm. that people say the divorce rate in the church is the same as not. And again, that also is is a myth. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Well, David and Stacey, you guys have a podcast, which obviously I'm a big fan of, mainly because I'm on once a week. But all the time, <laughs> <laughs> you guys host the great podcast, Flyover Conservatives, and it's one of the top. I was actually I was going through a list of all of the top conservative podcasts, and you guys placed top twenty, which hey! was amazing. I think you guys were like fifteen or fourteen in the list. It's because um, we have good guests. It's because yeah, I would say there's a weekly segment every every uh, week that <laughs> might be one of the greatest. I don't know. I'm a little biased here, but David and Stacey, your your podcast is amazing because mine's very you know we're covering the news and it could be a little bit down sometimes, but you guys are very optimistic all of the time and you guys have some great content. What are you guys working on now, and what can our audience look forward to when they're uh, tuning into the Flyover Conservative podcast? You can find us on flyoverconservatives.com, and we truly are. We're always looking for the truth. That is the most important part, um, using discernment during this time because, you know, we're 320-some days from the election. This is going to be a crazy year in 2024. So obviously finding the truth, but always having hope because God told us when we started our podcast, He said, if you ever feel hopeless, you've somewhere along the line, you've believed a lie because you've taken God out of the equation. And so if, if you ever in your life are feeling hopeless, it means God was taken out of the equation because he always brings hope and he always brings answers. And not, not even just a false hope and like, I wish things were better. Like like truly, there there are, even the worst moments during COVID, there were a lot of doctors that were censored that had great plans of action mm-hmm. that would keep you healthy, keep you out of the hospital. And so yeah. there's, there's always good things. You just have to kind of take ownership of that information. That's what we really try to highlight on the show. 
Yeah, that's important. And that's something our audience desperately wants because there's not many uh, media outlets that they could turn to for that. So that's always a plus in our eyes. David and Stacey Wyden, thank you so much for joining me today. Again, guys, the, the podcast is flyoverconservatives.com. That's where you guys catch it. You guys can find them on all the popular platforms. Uh, I love watching you guys on Rumble. So thank you so much for joining us. And I look forward to joining you guys later on this week. audience in on a little secret. I'm saving hundreds of dollars each year after switching over both of my lines to Patriot Mobile. Yes. So now my business and personal line are with Patriot Mobile. Now Patriot Mobile uses the same towers that you're probably already using now, except it's less expensive. So my 5G towers that I love to use my old provider, I'm still using them now. I'm just paying significantly less money to do so. And on top of it all, Patriot Mobile believes in the same things you and I believe in. They have the same morals. So they donate to causes that are like pro-life causes, veteran causes, and even the NRA. It's incredible. So I highly recommend you head over to PatriotMobile.com right now. Take a look at their plans and sign up. And today, if you sign up and use promo code Brianna, they're going to waive the activation fee. Yes, you heard it right. They're going to waive the activation fee. Just make sure you use promo code Brianna, B-R-E-A-N-N-A. This one's called Pits Me Off. It's incredible. Watch this, it's super easy. Ta-da, and that's all you need. And it dries super quick. Obviously, I'm wearing black. There's no white residue left over. It's a natural deodorant. It's made right here in the USA. There's none of those Chinese harmful chemicals also included in it. It's giveaderm.com, and then use the promo code Brianna for 10% off. You gotta try it. So a lot of people are getting a little nervous because Warren Buffett just did something that's catching a lot of people's attentions these days, and that is he sold $28.7 billion, billion dollars in stock. Now, a lot of people think that usually is an indicator that there might be some gloomy days ahead, but some people might be a little bit optimistic, potentially. But listen, okay, if, if you're a little concerned, don't be, because Costco <laughs> well, this one's it's actually not that much better. I'm kind of lying to you guys. Costco right now <laughs> is saying that uh, they have just sold $100 million in gold bars. $100 million in gold bars. And that's just in one quarter. And so a lot of people watching this now are probably going to get a little nervous. Don't get nervous. Don't get nervous because we've got somebody here who is going to ease your worries. And he's going to tell you not to be too worried. Come up with a plan. And let's let's get that the, that ball rolling because that's really the most important in all of this. I want to welcome in my very next guest, Dr. Kirk Elliott. Dr. Elliott, thank you for joining me on this one. Okay, so I don't want my audience to get nervous and think that like I am just trying to scare them right now. Uh, there is some you know positive news to all of this. Coming up with a plan is always a good thing, and we'll talk about that in just a second. But what do you make of Warren Buffett selling off? $28.7 billion in stock. So I think that's really important to pay attention to. It, it, it is. I mean, he's a smart investor. Um, you know, you don't have to agree with his politics, but but he's a great investor, you know, the Oracle of Omaha, right? So um, why is he selling? Well, like any wise and prudent investor, you buy low and you sell high to lock in profits. So after Jerome Powell, chairman of the Fed, said last week, oh, we're going to just pause interest rate hikes. You know, we're, we're not going to do them. And then next year, we're going to lower interest rates three times. 
Okay. Seriously, fat chance that's going to happen because for them to lower interest rates, that means that they've won the battle of inflation. Um, They have not won the battle of inflation. In fact, yesterday, uh, Jerome Powell had a bipolar moment and he said, you know, we've we've gone pretty far in this battle against inflation, but we still have a long ways to go. It's like, wait a second. It's completely opposite of what you said a few days ago when you said we've won and we're going to lower rates next year, right? So so what does that mean? It means that they inflation is going to persist, but sadly, wages are coming down. So wages, people's you know jobs, they're coming down, but prices are going up. That's the definition of stagflation. Like what we had in the late 70s, early 80s, where you had rationing at the gas pumps, big, huge recession, people weren't working, Interest rates were oh, 18% to slow down inflation that was 14%. I mean, it was brutal. It was absolutely awful. Carter uh, was like the worst economic president in the history of America. Um, but now, you know, he, he would have been cheering because he said, <laughs> I no longer have that prize. A Biden has that prize right now. So, <laughs> so, so this is where we're headed is – Big recession with inflationary pressure. So what did Warren Buffett do? In 2023, first three quarters, the year's not even over, um, they sold about $28 billion worth of stocks from Berkshire Hathaway. Mm -hmm. Now, why? So he's known as like the world's greatest value investor. He likes to buy companies that are discounted, which means buy low, sell high, He's locking in his profits on the stock market because Jerome Powell's statements caused the stock market to go to all-time highs when they said, we've won the war on inflation and the economy's doing good under Bidenomics and we'll have three rate cuts next year. Hogwash, that's political speak. But it really is going to help Biden during the election year because they can say, look, we're winning this battle. Perception is reality, right, Brianna? It's like, it doesn't matter if it's true. But he said it, so people perceive it to be true. And so what's Buffett going to do? In 2024, I would say after we get this big recession, the val- stock valuation of big, massive companies comes you know, crashing down. He's going to buy them because he's now sitting on about $150 billion worth of cash. So he's putting together a war chest to buy companies at a discount. Here's the funny thing about this. He's a Democrat. He doesn't even believe in Bidenomics, right? So yeah. he knows it's going to come crashing down and he's he's capitalist. He's going to buy companies at a discounted price when the recession hits and the stock market tanks, right? So so he doesn't even believe in his president's economy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's not much to believe in these days. I mean, we just saw his approval ratings and I think they're at 33% right now for Joe Biden. And so obviously the reaction that you're seeing from the Fed is interesting because they're trying to give them a boost uh, in 2024, which I think um, probably won't help him. I think most Americans understand what's going on. I want to get to Costco because I thought this was interesting that Costco, uh, obviously, they're in the business of doing a lot of business these days, but they are selling gold bars. And they're saying that in the last quarter that they sold $100 million worth of gold bars. What do you make of that? And is gold really the best investment for people to, to kind of build their portfolio around right now? Uh, I mean, it's a fine investment. It's it's a tangible asset. Tangible assets like gold and silver go up with inflation. We've got inflation. So, but but here's the thing: 
historically, there's a ratio between silver and gold, which tells you which metal you should buy. Uh, that ratio is screaming buy silver, not gold. So gold will be fine, but silver is just doing better. So when two things are equally as safe, I would always go into the one that's doing better, which happens to be silver. Because um, I think over the next 12 to 18 months, silver probably doubles to quadruples the rate of growth of gold, which means let's just say that it, it doubled. Well, then 12 months from now, we sell our silver and roll it into gold. What did I just do? I got you twice as many ounces of gold then as I could have purchased for you today because silver outperformed. So yeah. it's not that I like gold or silver better or worse. I don't care. I'm very pragmatic about it. Silver is yeah. just doing better. So I would go into silver. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I mean, you and I spoke, you know, privately and we, we came up with my plan and I went with silver as well because I trust you on that one. Uh, and, and my dad even backed it. And I told him about our discussion. My dad's like, oh no, silver is the way to go for our audience right now. Um, I don't like putting people into a panic. And so I want to make sure that they're not panicking, but we want to come up with some solutions. So for our audience at home right now, if you're interested in speaking with Dr. Kirk Elliott, you can uh, head over to his website, kirkelliottphd.com slash Brianna, uh, and give them, give them a little, you can set up right there, as you see right there on your screen. Thank you for pulling that up, Avery. You could set up an appointment. If you got questions, you could throw them their way. Uh, as well as you can also call there's 720-605-3900. That's 720-605-3900. Uh, Dr. Kirk Elliott, while I have you on, uh, what do you recommend for our audience besides just doing that to protect themselves for now? What should they all be kind of looking into doing potentially within the next couple of months? Because I would imagine as we're getting closer and closer to the election that the economy is really going to kind of turn uh, and and hopefully for the better. But how do they prepare for that? So we, there's a couple things you can do. A, like we just talked about, I would buy silver. It's, mm -hmm. it's the best investment. B, I would recommend getting out of debt, right? As much as you can. So when, when interest rates rise, the cost of servicing your debt goes up. And interest rates are not going to come down. I don't care what Biden says about lowering rates three times next year. Maybe they get one rate decrease, but inflation is going to persist, which means they're going to have to change their tune and continue to raise rates. So anytime you have a lot of debt and interest rates are going up, you're going to feel the pinch. American families are going to feel the pinch, are going to have less money to spend. When they have less money to spend, that's not as many as much corporate revenues. When corporate revenues are down, stock prices come down, right? So I think it's this self-fulfilling prophecy playing itself out in 2024. And it's a function of too much debt, interest rates going up, and not enough income. Those are yeah. all fundamental issues with Bidenomics. Yeah. Yeah. No, they are. And we're so thankful to have you, Dr. Kirk Elliott, because you give us all of this financial hope. Uh, I know after we spoke, uh, I was more optimistic than ever before. Uh, so again, to our audience, it's uh, com slash Brianna. And then you could also give him a call 720-605-3900. Again, it's great to come up with a plan Everyone needs one. I highly recommend you all give them a call now. And listen, you could definitely focus on not the negatives, but at least the positives. And I think one of the positives is coming up with that plan. So you you could secure your family's financial future. Uh, I know I find that to be extremely important and I did so myself. 
Dr. Kirk Elliott, thank you so much for joining us today. We really, really appreciate your time as always. You guys, I've said it once before, so I'm going to say it again. Under the Biden regime, I've never been more worried about my financial future. I called my good friend, Dr. Kirk Elliott, because I wanted to come up with a plan put in place to make sure I was secure. And he came up with a plan for me to invest in silver. I'm rich. I've got my silver. I'm feeling so much better about my future. I highly recommend you give him a call and just chat with his team. 720-605-3900. And you could also head over to his website if you'd like to schedule an appointment. It's kirkelliottphd.com slash Brianna. And if you enjoyed that segment, make sure you hit that like button. And if you want to see the news before it becomes the news, you have to subscribe to our channel. And well, if you have a liberal friend that you're looking to save, make sure you share this content with them.